Good morning, planet Earth, and welcome to the Affinity Collective Action Broadcast, your one-stop shop for Irish news here and abroad. Get mad, get inspired, have a laugh, have a cry, take action. So should we, I guess, to get started, we should probably go around in a circle and introduce ourselves. So there's four of us sitting around uh, this lovely mic in, uh, in, in someone's bedroom at the moment, so I hope the sound quality is all right. Uh, I'm Mouse. Uh, I've kind of like been a part of the collective for a while, which we're about, which I'll give an introduction later on. I'm Squirrel. I've been a member for about the same amount of time. And I am Shiloh and American Irish, so new to the collective. Uh, hi, I'm Eleanor, or La Serena. That means flame of wisdom. Pascal, <laughs> that's an old Irish last name and I fucking love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are your hosts of the show for today. And we've disabled your pause button, so you're stuck with us for the next however long we're here for. A quick introduction as to what the collective is. We're kind of a group of people that came together and was like, do you know what would be great if there was uh, open kind of like land projects, social centre things set up in Ireland, which I, I think really we're kind of like lacking kind of in today's climate. Um, so we're all kind of anarchists or anarchist-leaning people um, and the idea is to set up a project which helps to rewild the land, uh, provide resources for people uh, not necessarily based on a monetary need. In time we intend to set up a recording studio, libraries, maybe like, like an electronics lab, whatever we can really get our hands on and whatever the, the people around us are kind of inspired to do. Mouse, do you think that Ireland is lacking in that in that whole urban rural thing? Like, is that still a thing in Ireland that the rural communities have a little less than the urban centers? Oh, hugely, and I think it's getting worse. So, for context, I'm was born out in the country. So we're we're all in Dublin at the moment. Um, I I was born out in County Clare. And there's very little resources kind of around there. There's very little work. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up in a town which did have like a community garden, a cooperative. It's got the National Irish kind of like heritage seed bank um, and has quite a lot of kind of um, projects around to kind of keep people interested and occupied. But that's not the case for a lot of Ireland, especially like if you look at the Midlands here, there's very little kind of for, 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 for people to get involved in, I think. Um, and again, out west, it's kind of the same, especially for young people. Um, unfortunately, I think that a lot of people end up getting trapped in these kind of situations. And most people only really see an option of leaving the country or moving to the city which is quite inaccessible. Absolutely, and we're seeing this massive, massive urban sprawl where we're seeing, you know, Dublin 18, 19, 20, 21 just being invented as a result of this massive influx of people. We're also seeing a decline in, in, in culture of the countryside because people don't want to inherit the, the farmer title anymore. They want to go to the, the city and, and be an engineer. So what I like hope about projects like this it makes me really excited that we're kind of injecting maybe culture and life and love and fun and ideas into places in the middle of nowhere where there's not really anything 
yeah, but but also accessible to hopefully like a wider range. You, you know, like like I'm very passionate about getting kind of like travelers coming through, not necessarily just focused on Irish people. I mean, like um, I know myself, I've traveled around Europe quite a bit and it's great to be able to find projects like this that you can get involved in kind of out of the blue. You can look it up online, mm -hmm. you know, so it, I, I think ultimately the the dream is to be to have a project which is focused both locally and and more internationally and nationally for that matter as well you know as a kind of like hub for people who share our, our ideas and ideals and dreams you know wait a minute mouse it almost sounds like you're talking about solidarity across borders <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun funny about that uh, I another bit of context like you know, like, like, I'm Irish, but not, not, not really that Irish. So I, I, I guess, uh, <laughs> I, I, I definitely feel a lot of solidarity for like international community. I, I travel a lot and my background, uh, is just immigrants for days. So, you know, like having that kind of like international solidarity is really important, you know? Uh, I do believe that people are just people wherever they come from, wherever they go. Like, you know, so it would be good Why to try. Why ever we call them Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> <laughs> and I think a, a lot of us, sorry to interrupt, are, oh, are sorry, pretty um, well-traveled. And I know that you've experienced the same of just being in some place a million miles from where you were born and being welcomed mm -hmm. into someone's land and someone's project and realizing that there's so much more that connects us than separates us. And I know in Ireland there's a few projects like that too. You're looking at... Like where for work ways and woofing and um, projects like that and couch surfing and people you've never met before in your life just opening their doors to you. So my dream with Affinity Collective, with the land when we have it, would be for it to be a place where the doors are open for, mm -hmm. for weary travellers who, who share similar ideals or who are curious about what on earth it is we're doing. I know for myself, and um, I only was able to come to Ireland for the first time in 2017, and in the time up to that, I was in an Irish studies program, preparing to come over, um, um, and one of the things that I noticed, I happened to be in Seattle, was the um, similarities in the housing crisis between Seattle and Dublin, I, the Republic of Ireland in particular, and one of the things that really like stood out in my mind was we had one homeless encampment in Seattle that at the time I believe there was 4,900 and something homeless people in that one encampment where the same amount of people were homeless in the Republic of Dublin. And now since that time, I've seen that grow to over 10,000 homeless people. And now this is only, as far as I understand, counting people that are within homeless accommodation mm -hmm. that it's not counting the hidden homeless um or the squatters or the people couch surfing mm -hmm. these people aren't even included in that number so it'd actually be much larger and what i saw this big similarity that gets me is these american corporations google microsoft they both moved into these cities we've discovered tech booms but whether you're in Chehalis or donegal you're not getting the money from these tech industries. And that's another area where I see providing rural sanctuary for folks. And as um, other people were speaking about having a way to draw people back out to the country, 
that it's not necessarily that bad. And especially, I mean, what, what was that that happened earlier in the news with the homeless man? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if people have seen in the news, but quite, quite recently, I think it was on the Grand Canal, um, on the bank, uh, a man was sleeping in a tent and uh, some kind of large machinery, I think it was a digger or something, was, it was, a digger. was collecting up the, the tents and... A digger, that's, we'd call that a bulldozer in the States, right? I haven't a clue. Okay, They were collecting up the tents and they didn't know this man was in here and they ended up uh, horribly maiming this person, well, which, which is a horrific in instance to happen. But, but I think what's worse with this kind of fallout is kind of like the, some of the perspectives that I've heard around. Like I've heard a lot of people kind of say that this person, you know, didn't want to engage in homeless services, didn't want to stay in hostels and stuff, and this almost like dehumanizing of this man who who went through a, a horrific accident, like you know, and and his life is now changed through this kind of like maiming, and the way people are able to dehumanize homeless people, I think, is is kind of horrific. Like we have no idea if it's even true that this person didn't engage in homeless services. Why not? I mean, the hostels are very unsafe for a lot of people. Like, we don't know anything about this background, but people's automatic reaction, I think, in this country is this kind of like, oh, people are homeless because they don't want to try or they don't want to, to not be homeless. And wow. I, yeah, I see it as a huge problem. Wow, I'm really hearing a lot of things that I'm used to hearing in the States. As mm -hmm. far as like the jungle, the mm -hmm. encampment I was speaking about earlier, when social workers went in and tried to encourage these people to come out, one of the things they realized is a lot of people worked and they worked third shift and the hostels mm -hmm. are only open at night. So it did them no good. These people needed a place to sleep during the day. And it, it's interesting because one of the key differences between Ireland and America, and some people will find this problematic and I personally don't, is that the homeless accommodation in Ireland will allow you in if you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Which, on the one hand, yeah, if you're a mother with children, you don't want to be sharing space with a drunk person, perhaps. But we also need to provide housing for the drunk people. They don't need to die on the street either. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think... It does differ hostel to hostel. I think mean, I think different hostels do actually have different policies on this kind of thing. Um, but even still, like there, there's limited spaces. I mean, we're in the middle of a homeless crisis, and a lot of these hostels are actually coming from private charities. Like and they're you know, trying their best not to take people on. Oh, mm -hmm. and one of the best I've heard is the church has the best rooms, but you have to pay fifty quid a week. Yeah, that's the other thing. How is this a charity? Yeah, fifty yeah. quid a week. Let's almost all. Yeah, like, uh, like, like that's the thing. Is like uh, also a lot of the time people have to pay in, and like these hostels, of course, have running costs, um, and it is understandable that they need money. But like the that money shouldn't be coming out of the pockets of people who need those services, who are probably you know having a hard time getting money. And then I mean, my my I like to keep my ear to the street. And when I'm walking around and speaking to people that are homeless, that are currently panhandling or busking, I hear about these hostels. I've heard of coats being stolen while people are in mm -hmm. showers. I hear a lot about gangs and how 
I mean, if you want heroin in Dublin, all you, it sounds like you just go to a homeless accommodation center and mm -hmm. these are the people that run the, the center. And I have a couple of friends from the queer community that live in tents along the canal because they are trying to stay sober from drugs mm -hmm. and they're queer. It's not safe. Yeah, and you pointed out that of course these hostels have running costs and they need to get that from somewhere, but instead of taking it from other means, they choose to take it from the people who have the least, who need these services more than anything. I see you mentioned Apple, Facebook, Google, Uber earlier. So the Ireland whose freedom we fought for is now being domineered by these massive multinational corporations who are being celebrated because they're going to these areas and they're transforming them and they're amazing and look at all the jobs that they're creating but of course we all know that we look like little bitch to the rest of the world because we're not charging these corporations we're any fighting not to charge them but but we don't charge them any tax yes the workers pay tax but also those workers were educated brought up here etc etc so they're paying their taxes but these companies aren't and all that money has been shipped back Beyond this, and I think a lot of people for, like don't necessarily think about this in the way that 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 I do. Like, even if we were collecting taxes from these corporations, that doesn't change the fact that like social housing in this country has gotten like absolutely dreadful in the last twelve years. Like, like under Fina Gale. Um, social housing has stopped being a government-led process and has gone into what's known as a developer-led process where people building um, like accommodation, like apartment blocks and stuff like that are meant to set aside a certain percentage for social housing. Um, now, you could say, okay, that sounds all right. There's still going to be social housing available for people. The problem is, is there's actually a buyout for this scheme instead of providing however much percentage for social housing, you can donate a certain amount to the council and don't have to provide it anymore. Um, on top of this, it also encourages uh, types of accommodation which don't need to build social housing, which is why we see so many hotels and student accommodation going up at the moment, which are mm -hmm. exempt from this policy. So really, there's no one actually creating housing true government policy at the moment. So it doesn't matter how much taxes we're getting in, the, the, the system has changed in such a way that the government wouldn't do anything even if that money was there in this situation. I think personally if I could have my 15 minutes in fame, of fame in front of these corporate heads of these American corporations, I, I would spend it yelling at them about not bringing people into these city centers so much, but as setting up campuses, people can telecommute for work. Donegal has been looking to wire the entire county, being the most impoverished county in Ireland at the moment. They're looking for ways to draw people in. And I just, from the people I've met in the tech industry, a fair bit of them are introverts. I think mm -hmm. many of them would enjoy living somewhere outside of a city, yet we have all of these bases coming into the major cities and pulling in people that are displacing the locals. And that those are the people we find sleeping on the streets. But again, even a huge problem with this is like, we've been looking at like a national broadband scheme um, to try and get it out. And this has been like an absolute complete farce. Like the original company that was meant to do it has pulled out and they're talking about like an insane amount of costs and stuff at the moment to do with this. Like this is a huge topic um, in my hometown at the moment because pe this 
is potentially could mean that that there could be jobs created in the countryside. And uh, but but it's been doing being done so inefficiently, which unfortunately is like like the mo of the Irish government is to to not be able to do something that actually makes sense. Like England, they when they had a national uh, broadband kind of like scheme, they actually made money by selling the copper wire that they replaced with optic fiber because the price of copper is quite high. Um, whereas in this country, we haven't even talked about stuff like that. Like you know, we we're literally trying to just pay huge amounts of money to a private company in order to bring broadband everywhere without actually talking about ha ways in like saving money or doing it in an efficient manner that any reasonable country would 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 talk about you know i know i was excited recently when it went viral or at least around you know the face my facebook bubble about um one of the islands off of donegal it wasn't tory island now but i i think the mm -hmm. the aran islands if i'm pronouncing that correct song islands um, but the thing was, they got the funding, they built a hub, they got the broadcast, there's no place to live. It's an island <laughs> of Donegal. You, God help you if you're getting over there in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, great, you gave the island folk some money and a thing to do, and I hope people are able to utilize it, but putting it out there that you want to bring people in when there's no housing for them. Mm. Uh, apparently in Thailand, the opposition party has been accused of being in the Illuminati, which I think is a hilarious political strategy if you want to, if you want to stop people getting votes. Now, like I said, I'm pretty, uh, uh, I'm pretty uh, ignorant of this because I've just seen the, the headline, but uh, it it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely a hilarious concept that's, because uh, that's for sure so it looks like they've been found not guilty of whatever it is the charge is i think it was sedition but um we we'll dissolve the uh, oh wow the court is actually able to just dissolve the party um <laughs> they dissolve the illuminati finally yeah <laughs> the case is based on a complaint that, the, that claims the party is seeking to overthrow the constitutional monarchy and is linked to the Illuminati. <laughs> so it looks like the, the actual party that has this ac accusation is like a progressive party. It's trying to kind of like move beyond like a monarchy system in Thailand, which I know is actually quite... It sounds a bit ridiculous, but it's, it's actually quite uh, popular. Um, in the, the monarchy is very popular in kind of like Thailand and stuff like that. But I, I think this has an overarching theme of like kind of like the anti kind of like progressive attitudes that people are taking. I mean, like we've all heard the stories of like George Soros funding Antifa and all these other kind of like ridiculous concepts that like you know, th th this is going back to kind of like the concept of of like the Jewish elite controlling socialism. In my kind of view, like like if we, if we're actually to take this to like its logical conclusion, like you know, when a lot of people talk about the Illuminati, it, it, it tends to be this kind of trend towards like oh globalists or like the Jewish media, which which you know these far right like it's become these far right opinions that like like that like people are using that that Jewish people are like using the media and like power and stuff to like spread these progressive ideals in order to like conquer the world and, and this was like 
like very prevalent in kind of like the speeches that Hitler gave and stuff like that. Like, like, like you can almost copy and paste a lot of the rhetoric which was used to justify the genocide under Nazi Germany and stuff. And it, it's actually super worrying, especially when you look at like other like global political situations. I mean, we've got like Bolsonaro in Brazil at the moment, who is an out and out, like openly fascist person. Um, and kind of like if you if you spend any time online, you can see there's also a lot of this kind of like right wing conspiracy kind of um, like talk going on, you know, stuff about like the gay agenda and these other mm -hmm. like like bizarre like kickouts against like minority groups in order to 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 make it seem kind of conspiratorial. Yeah, well, in order to like justify like a harsh right wing kind of like regime, like you know, if not fascism, at least fascist kind of like leaning policies, you know, um, mm -hmm. and like if you look at two of the largest global superpowers like Britain and America at the moment, they're definitely going in that direction with their anti-immigrant kind of like rhetoric. Um, this story to me is just like one more of like these kind of like worrying kind of like like shifts that that is that is happening kind of like on the global political scale. So quick update from the news. Um, Future Forward and their leader Thanatorn I cannot pronounce his last name. Uh, they've been acquitted of the charge of conspiring to overthrow the monarchy. Mm -hmm. um, the, ch the complaint was initially filed in June 2019 uh, by a lawyer and former advisor to the chief ombudsman who claimed, that, uh, who claimed that the party broke section 49 of the 2017 constitution. I don't know what that is, mm. but moreover, he said the party's logo, an orange inverted triangle, looks eerily similar to the symbol associated with the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah. And that the resemblance meant the two were probably linked. Yeah, because the Illuminati are known for operating in secret, wanting world domination, and that begins a lot of the time with dissolving monarchies. <laughs> <laughs> and this claim grew wings and went pretty far to the point where they were risking like 10 years uh, if the dissolution wasn't successful, then 10 years of not being allowed to hold a seat or be a mm -hmm. lawmaker. Matt? And my mind goes just to what Mouse was speaking about with, um, you know, our long line of uh, fascists, the upside down triangle now, isn't that something people <laughs> would be forced to wear? I think I would have been given a black one, yeah. or a pink one, <laughs> maybe a rainbow one. Yeah, I mean, like, we can joke about it, but, like, to me, I'm actually, like, deeply concerned about this trend. It is really worrying to see the thin veil of, like, democracy actually being pulled back in the drastic claims of these like conspiracy theorists which just are gaining more and more kind of like power and we see less and less power of the people being represented which i would say is very small in a representative democracy like you know you kind of like vote someone in and then they make decisions for you they can lie to you the whole way along i don't think it's very good at representing the voice of the people but even that is being drawn back more and more as like we ban like progressive thoughts and parties and people kick out against vulnerable people, minorities such as like immigrants, um, Jewish people are taking a lot of fl flack at the moment. Also, we see a lot of attacks on kind of like the queer community and their culture. Um, it, 
it is just this this huge trend um, that I am just yeah deeply deeply worried about. It almost sounds like you know the when you're waiting for that final moment of the Wizard of Oz and the curtain is raised and then but instead of like the wizard we instead we have the Leos the Justin Trudeau's the Trumps yeah. like the Boleros yeah. all here but there's still another curtain <laughs> and then when that one rises yeah it's not the people standing behind them it's that elite well, well you take Trump for example like you know and and it's like uh, you know I don't think Trump is necessarily a fascist but he definitely has like tendencies towards kind of like fascism he's created like uh kind of like an environment where he doesn't have to tell the truth to people he's mm -hmm. got very right-wing kind of uh policies but not necessarily like socially conservative but more kind of like economically conservative like pervert um like kind of like protecting kind of like the capitalist class and stuff the the things that we see in fascism and you know, like like when it comes down to it, if this if the the state is threatened in like an absolute crisis of like, oh no, Iran might launch nuclear missiles on a on us. Like, how difficult is it for say someone like that to say actually we're going to have to suspend the democratic election of a president for a while? Like, you know, it's like this is actually the reality of how close something like this that we all think is fine and good can turn into fascism. See, this is where I both love being a history nerd and loathe being a history nerd. Historically, the America has never voted a president out in a time of war. So personally, I was in the States when Trump was elected. It, it, it was a, a really crazy time, a lot of protesting, or at least that was the side I'm on. And... <clears throat> <laughs> it's okay. I'm. I mean, like, I. Yeah. Oh well. I. It's just. It's just like. We've been holding our breath, waiting, wondering when Trump was going to declare war. I think most of us expected yeah, it to yeah, be. Absolutely. And now, as we approach this election year, to have this just blatant attack on Iran. Yeah. What are we looking at? It's going to be interesting, though, because this is an interesting moment with the impeachment proceedings. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of faith that the impeachment is actually going to come to anything, nor would I... He has been impeached, at, like, well, by Congress, and not the Senate, the Senate then has to decide whether they're going to impeach him. So... It's never actually happened in American history, and I personally would be thrilled if this was the first time. But, but I mean, like, it, it's against Republican interests to get Trump out, like, yeah. you know, like... And then who do we have? Mike Pence, yeah. that ran on the, hi, I'm Irish Catholic, all you Irish immigrants mm. and diaspora members, vote yeah. for me. And we got the harshest freaking abortion laws in the United States passed through Indiana because of this man. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of people would obviously like to see the president of America impeached, but we're seeing leaders like Trump, Bolsonaro, um, these are all just symptoms of a much larger problem, I think, mm -hmm. and I feel like if Trump was impeached and he was banished, or even if he just vanished overnight, if, if he... Smited? <laughs> if he smited? If he got shrunk by a shrunk ray and grew wings and then went into someone's windshield, I don't know if it would actually change a huge amount mm -hmm. globally, which is what terrifies me, that this problem is so much bigger 
then these puppets that are there to distract mm. and, and enrage us from well, the actual problems. That I, are, I think this is like a general yes. criticism of kind of like liberalism. Like, like under liberalism, we're taught that, you know, like the things that happen in our world are because of like particular people instead of like social trends mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Great man hypothesis. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, if you think back to like, like the civil rights movement again in the US is like, oh yes, Martin Luther King Jr. without actually recognizing the huge movement that happened like like behind that, you know, it's like people don't make change happen. Change happens from like movements, communities, like large social groups. Mm -hmm. um, but we have this tendency kind of in the liberal world that we live in to focus on one or two people and kind of say like nothing could have happened without them when really they're more a face for something bigger than them. And psst, just to go back into that, let's just remember that the labor movement in the states and the civil rights movement was all a result of people gathering together around a kitchen table and talking, not just whinging about what's wrong, but actually coming up with plans of action. It's that simple. 100%. We mm -hmm. all know that politics is merely an entertainment division of the military-industrial complex and these movements start from the bottom up. It starts with a group of people realizing that something's drastically wrong and then spreading those ideas and educating people and those movements gaining traction and from there is where we see the biggest changes, in my opinion. Yeah, like I, I totally agree, you know, like like you can be one person shouting on a podium and not much is going to happen but it, it, it's when people actually have like core beliefs and try to act according to those beliefs that that we actually see like real change manifest itself like you know which is something that really worries me kind of here in our home country um mm -hmm. because we just have a terrible record of actually like like uh demonstrating things like publicly like you know uh, again, we were talking about the retirement age before this kind of like podcast started and it's like, you know, when they try and raise the retirement age in France, we see protests, oh, we see people... Out on the streets. Yeah, like we actually see people who care about it and, invested, and, are, and are invested in kind of like stopping that happening for the betterment of their lives. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, we have this tendency to roll over and be like, ah, sure, what can you do? Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think the French have a long track record um, for protesting against injustices that they're facing. And they did not give up when they were ridiculed by a huge amount of people and came against a lot of opposition, a lot of hate, a lot of jabs. And they didn't stop until they got it. Now the retirement age, which was going to be increased to 64, is now 62. In Ireland, if you don't know, it's now gone up to 68. I don't know if you've ever worked on a construction site or laid bricks down or done any super physically demanding labour. It's hard when you're in your 20s, never mind when yeah. you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Are you fucking serious? I'm thinking about personal family members who've worked almost every day since they were 17 and pretty physically grueling jobs some of the time. They're in their 50s now. There's no way I can imagine them working till, till they're 68. And they're pissed off and they talk about it over a pint. And then it's just, it's forgotten. And now that policy has been put into place, there's a huge amount of work that will need to be done to dismantle that, rather than have just started outright fighting it non-stop since, since it was threatened. I mean, we didn't get an increased life expectancy so that we could give those <laughs> remaining years slaving away for some arsehole who's, who, who doesn't know what it's like to work a physically demanding job. Yeah. And when I stated this opinion to someone <laughs> once, they, they responded with <laughs> the fact that TDs have to get up very early sometimes. 
Oh, did they? Uh, Finnegale is the party of people who get up early in the morning, and we want to respect those people specifically. And those people are a definite group. Is this and is this they, the same doll that, like, you know, you, you look at it on TV, and there's maybe four TDs sitting in their seats, like, mm -hmm. you know, when when a decision is being made. Like, most of the decisions in the doll are made in the bar. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, yeah, the fact that there's an adjacent bar in our hat for, for oh, context yeah. of overseas. <laughs> Um, listeners or people who don't necessarily understand kind of like uh, the Irish political system uh, the House of Representatives in Ireland is called Don the Heron um, and there is a like physical bar for members of our House of Representatives to drink in uh, attached beside it so like there not, have been debates about the opening hours of this bar. Yeah, but but not only are like, you know, like barely anyone showing up to work. We're seeing people kind of coming in half cut, like, you know, like how often have you been watching the news and seen a politician ranting about something and they're red in the face and looking like, you know, they've, they've had a, a, a an afternoon of drinking, like, you know. Yeah, um, uh, analogous to going into a bar in the middle of the countryside <laughs> and hearing a whole load of old folk talking a lot of hoop except these people are earning a colossally ridiculous amount of money and are making decisions that change the future and lives of a lot of people yeah. on which also, note from last year <laughs> t uh, like december last year tds and senators are facing combined unpaid or access bar and restaurant bills of almost twenty thousand. um yeah so so they have to get up early sometimes uh i know there's been a, a bajillion scandals but one another one just to to give you another insight that might inspire a little bit of emotion uh, TDs and people who attend these debates at the Dallas part of their job um, get a, a transport allowance if they live outside of a certain radius mm -hmm. these addresses have been forged and faked so that those transport allowances can be claimed so that these people might get up early so they can go to a debate that wait a second they don't actually go yeah. because they're not there. <laughs> they got their invisibility cloak along the way. And the, and this they also is... got allowance for. <laughs> As I'm listening to you guys talk, I just can't help but think like, you know, Stormout, the 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 occupied six counties of yeah. Northern Ireland, which are still a part of this island, haven't had a government all they through have had since this. the recent UK election. Yeah, I, I think they're just getting Stormout back in. Yeah, I yeah. think they're just getting their government back after <laughs> after three years of uh, of no government, which usually I'm in favor of, but uh, unfortunately it didn't mean no police. <laughs> right. <laughs> which also we're usually in favor of. Oh wait, no, sorry, I misunderstood you. Never Actually, mind. Actually, just a, a nice, a, a funny intersection of this. Uh, our current government, Finnegale, um, have been known to. Uh, do a lot of things that are enraging, but most recently, uh, uh, the 1916 Rising, which y'all might be familiar with, our current government, Fine Gael, wanted to, alongside commemorating all of the people that died for the freedom of the 26 counties that are now part of the Republic, wanted to also commemorate, alongside of that, the RIC, which are the Royal Irish Constabulary, mm -hmm. uh, a subgroup of which were the Black and Tans. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Black and Tans were a terrorist organization commissioned by Winston Churchill, lovely man, <laughs> not really, um, commissioned to come over and terrorize civilians of Ireland in order to dissuade them from 
fighting for a 32 county united sovereign state which had been democratically voted for by the people. These people raped and pillaged and murdered their way across Ireland. Mm -hmm. When Fine Gael were obviously called out on this, they then tried to blame it on the Gardaí, <laughs> which is feckin' gas, like this this is straight out of a shit, a shit com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, the police responded in saying that they wanted to uh, just commemorate those who do their best in upholding a law. The law at the time allowed people who were ex military soldiers who were shell-shocked. They also went to British prisons. These jobs were highly paying. That's why people um, joined the, the Black and Tans. They were able to go across Ireland. The law was to terrorise civilians, to scare them so much that they'd be too frightened to fight for their own freedom. I so, always peg in on the Black and Tans and that bit of like, these were mercenaries that were coming out of other wars, your worst soldiers you had. And the whole reason they were called the Black and Tans is the British didn't have enough uniforms to give them, so they had to do a mismatch. <laughs> but there's a positive in everything. Did you guys hear that Come Out Ye Black and Tans, that good old favorite <laughs> rebel song, hit number one in the charts in, the, in Ireland and the UK? And now the wolf tones have very graciously said, all that money we're donating to homeless charities, Peter McBerry in Dublin. Yeah, yeah that's in, in, pretty good. In addition to that, it also reached number one in the Australian charity, <laughs> I believe. And then all of the money that's being collected from that is going towards fighting the bushfires and saving the wildlife, which... Oh, uh, how are the cousins doing down in Australia? Not so good. I believe mm. the latest news is that the sun has been blocked out by yeah. these fires. But by, by dust, you sing about that? By, by, by dust storms at the moment. So not only, I think Australia has faced like some of the worst wildfires um, that it's ever faced. It's also had like crazy hail, which for people who don't realize maybe that Australia is in the middle of summer right now. And now they've got dust clouds, which have just blocked out the sun. Um, There's for... flooding going on as well. Oh, they, like, like... This, like, this is a great segue into kind of like that the actual consequences of I think climate change at the moment. Like, you know, like we're we're actually starting to see more and more day to day the effects that kind of like human activity is having on our environment and how it affects us also as human beings in the world that we live in and how reliant we are on a very finely tuned kind of like like ecosystem to survive in which we are changing willy-nilly without you know actually thinking about the consequences mm -hmm. and just be not only because i like to bitch about the british government and <laughs> the colonization of ireland one of the points of the affinity collective is we want to plant trees we are on a little rock in the middle of the atlantic that has been absolutely raped of her forestry <laughs> and looking at australia right now there's lots of desert in Australia. There always has been. This is horrific. But I, I'm very fearful of the green rolling hills of Ireland that are only there because the trees were gone because the British needed a navy. Um, we haven't done the work yet. Does that, will we turn into a desert? <sighs> I'm, there's, like, 
so I, I have to say I don't know enough about it to say whether or not desertification might, might, might occur kind of in Ireland. But, but, but definitely there are, there are like huge ecological consequences for it. I mean like with, with the felling of Irish forests, a lot of the wildlife, the native kind of like fauna died out as well. You know, like we're, we're going back quite a, a long way. Like, you know, the, the, the green rolling hills that Ireland is famous for used to be large kind of like oak forests, mm -hmm. which, is a, which is a strange thing to kind of like wrap your head around it when you're, you're driving through maybe like Meath or something and you're mm -hmm. like, oh, there sure are a lot of fields here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, yeah, one of the focuses kind of of the collective is to try and reintroduce kind of like oak forest um, to using like a mix of like birch and stuff like that, which helps to to uh, fix the soil um, to make way for kind of like the growth of like ancient oak and stuff. Yeah. You know, for for way past the days that when when we're dead. You know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think by pointing out the fact that it was oak trees and you wanted to plant birch to complement this growth, it's that I feel like in in the Western world where we live in, we tend to view a lot of things in isolation, whether mm -hmm. it be our own species, um, specific plants, trees, organisms, but these things exist as a system. And when we destroy one part of it for the short-term gains of a small few, that has hugely detrimental effects for the entire system, because these things are, are networks that, that rely on each other. This is, actually, this is actually a really good point and I think for anyone kind of listening who's interested in these kind of ideas there was kind of like a, a, a shift in kind of like leftist thought kind of maybe 40-50 years ago around this with kind of like the introduction of the idea of social ecology which stems from the work of Murray Bookchin um, which is this great like like previously a lot of leftists kind of saw uh, humankind struggle together very clearly. They were like, look, we have to like work together in order to like achieve things, but there was still this like conquering of nature attitude, mm -hmm. you know? And with the kind of like creation of social ecology, yeah, there was a shift in kind of ideology where it was like actually, not only do humans have to work together, we have to work together with our environment, which we are a part of. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it, it, it removed the separation of kind of like, like, like humankind and nature world. and and instead included kind of like humankind within kind of nature so if anyone is interested that like um uh what's the name of the book the which one uh the ecologist uh, we have a squirrel on the case it, it's uh, about to find the title of that book right now is uh, it bookchin yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Those are the kind of the hippie ideals that mm -hmm. are a threat to our economic prosperity. Uh, well, it's interesting as I mentioned. The ecology Earth. of freedom. Yeah, the ecology of freedom. Thank you. That the, the ecology of freedom by Murray Bookchin. So, so that that's a fantastic read if you do want to see kind of like ecology and environmentalism from a very leftist kind of like perspective, you know. And it's interesting, as I spoke of before, I, I got to go to one of those interesting hippie schools out in the States, and when I finished my um, program on Ireland, I went into a Native American studies program, and we spoke about this a lot, like the, the lubricant for colonization to come in is religion, and so often we can see in history now that it's breaking that tie of the people with the land. The indigenous mm. cultures understood that we work in conjunction with the earth but 
That went out the window with colonization and power because cutting down woods means building more houses, which means making more money. As long as someone's pockets getting filled, I, I would argue more than colonization, this is probably a, a problem with industrialization and kind of like the, the need for manufacture and an economy which, or, or a model of economics which doesn't take into account kind of like, like nature as something to be taken care of, like, you know, like, like our current system of like, um, of capitalism is kind of like the, the, the way that money works is there's this inherent value to objects and that's kind of what makes, or not an inherent value, but there's this kind of like attached value that humans put on objects and that kind of drives the whole economy. Like, you know, something is worth how much you think it's worth no matter what destructive forces it might have on our environment. You know, so instead of saying like, like we're going to take into a account the value of something based on the cost it has of like resources and like how damaging it is to like us as human beings and the environment that we live in. Uh, we kind of ignore all of that and go, well, how much do you think it, it, it's worth and how much can I get away with selling it? Mm -hmm. And it becomes this profit driven system, which doesn't have the capacity to be humane. You know, That's so many interesting, great points. And I, I'm just thinking about um, I know in the States, anyhow, there's been a push for a long time amongst the indigenous people. There was a role in the tribes of a person, typically a woman would fill this role. Their whole job was to look forward seven generations. <laughs> so anything that was going to be passed within the tribe, this person, and not alone, she had her, her other confidants, mm -hmm. to think about, but how will this affect the people, the children, mm -hmm. seven generations down? And we don't have that today. I think it's a, it would be a beautiful idea. I, wow, what a terrifying position that would be to hold. In <laughs> and I would uh, agree with Mouse about definitely now, like the contemporary model of deforestation is largely based on capitalist interests, but would agree with Shiloh that in the past there were definitely like colonial aspirations with uh, destroying the forests of a place. Let's look at Cromwell, for example. Yeah. What a little bollocks he was. <laughs> but um, he he had a really big thing against the Irish people, and at the time, Irish was largely Irish. Ireland was largely covered in forests, and harboured a lot of wolves. And at the time, when people were fighting against the invasion of Cromwell, um. The wolf was seen as a great symbol of, of power and inspiration, which you can imagine. Your village is about to get attacked and you hear this distant wolf cry. And that's what your people hear on a regular basis. I know for one that back in the day, if I was battling against invasions, that I would draw a lot of power and inspiration from that idea of a wolf. So Cromwell was on a mission to destroy both the Irish forests and also kill the Irish wolves. So he put out a call to his men and told them basically to to kill as many wolves as he can. He put a bounty on them. He did. Um, but he also destroyed the forest, because at the time the Irish people used to almost weaponize the forest and use them against invading forces. Because if you imagine a lot of British soldiers coming in who are maybe unfamiliar with the land, um, they're running in and the Irish would do a thing where they'd retreat into the forest and they would bind the trees together and they would retreat in and in and in. They understood the terrain, they were very familiar with it. But if you're an invading alien army and you, you're, you're kind of lured into these forests, everything's dark, it's unfamiliar, you don't really know what's going on, they use that against them. They'd often bind these these trees so that the invading forces would trip over it and, and, and then they'd be kind of trapped and confused and they would attack because of that. So then Cromwell basically was like, kill all the wolves, cut down all the trees, 
get rid of their wildflowers, you want to just like make meadows, we're going to put mansions on them, we're going to bring uh, different species of, of, of plants here that aren't native to the land. And I think that that has a hugely, lar a hugely large psychological effect on, on a nation who's, who's being invaded. If your animals are gone, your forests are gone, your flowers are gone. Um, yeah, that's just a little side fact about Cromwell and the Irish people using the forest as a weapon. General so election. Yeah. General election 2020. It was a drum roll for the general election. Ah, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is happening on it's February. A slop roll. Ah. <laughs> uh, it's happening on February 8th, so Saturday week. Um, mm -hmm. And it's the first general election called since, what's like, 85 or 1918. Oh, I don't remember when the last one was called, but. Wasn't born anyway. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. What? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? It's the first general election called in a way that the party was dissolved before it. Yeah, right, I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so right now uh, the ministers and the different committees still have power, but TDs currently have, have lost their title as TD. Mm -hmm. And they're just candidates presently. Right, so let's get into it. Uh, so I guess... Um... I guess a little bit of background is good for people who don't necessarily uh, understand or might come from different uh, countries as to kind of like the, the different political parties running. So really there are like two main political parties in Ireland um, and there's kind of like one party with, on top of that which also tends to get quite a lot of votes. But so we have Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael um, traditionally have usually had the majority of the government. Uh, then you've got Sinn Féin, which is like the Republican Party, um, like Irish Republican, which means uh, are in favour of a united Ireland, uh, first and foremost. Um, kind of coming up as like a, a third, like uh, a third kind of like runner. Now, now like traditionally since the foundation of the state, I think Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael have either held power. I don't think any other party has had a majority of the government in that. On top of that, we have a lot of smaller parties, um, a lot of them left-wing um, and a few of them right-wing, especially more recently we've seen kind of like an influx of um, anti-corruption Ireland, which are a right-wing political party, um, and kind of like a vein kind of like around that, which is uh, anti-immigration, um, going on using kind of like sound bites of like free speech and, and other bits and pieces like that. So if you are looking at your, your kind of like voting card and being like, oh, anti-corruption Ireland, I'm anti-corruption, uh, keep in mind that these people have a different kind of like agenda behind them. Um, and are actually uh, quite dangerous. There's been several attacks kind of on direct provision centers and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, sorry for the noise. I think someone's using power tools sorry. beside us. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I guess it's just important to kind of like understand that that's kind of what that, that party is representing. We have never had a government that in, did not include Fine Gael or Fine Fáil in at least some kind of coalition. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. currently we have two of them in coalition, which I think is the first. Mm -hmm. So in order for a party to hold government, how many of its candidates must be elected to hold seats in the Dáil? 
well, more than any other, I think. Yeah, it's just the largest majority. So we have a proportional representation government. So that means that uh, it's not like England with like a first-past-post policy. Um, if seats are won in each area, they get a seat in the doll. And if uh, if a government doesn't have enough to make up a, like an actual full majority, then they have to go into coalition with another party um, to make up that kind of like majority. Mm -hmm. So say if um, if Fina Gale got most of the votes um, comparatively to other party, like say thirty eight percent of the seats or whatever, mm -hmm. um, they would have to go into coalition with another party in order to actually put through legislation. Um, even though they wouldn't have enough of the seats to just make kind of like policy on their own. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess with a very brief history in terms of our most recent government and technically still current government Fine Gael, um, what's happened while they have held positions of government? So we have um, the Eighth Amendment, we have gay marriage, yeah, we don't have the Eighth Amendment anymore. Well, it was changed. Yeah. <laughs> Repeal! Yeah, Fianna Fáil was the government um, previous to the recession in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when they, when the recession happened, people kind of had this, uh, like, this anti-Fianna Fáil sentiment and Fianna Gael get, got in. Um, Policy-wise, they're very similar. It's hard to really tell the difference between them. Like, mostly they're family parties, so people uh, will vote either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, depending on kind of, like, what their family has voted on. I have a friend who uh, makes a joke that, like, Fianna Fáil could kill the firstborn of every person in the country and they'd still probably vote Fianna Fáil if they're a Fianna Fáil family. Like, you know, um, their policies are almost purely popularist, um, if you've ever seen kind of like their leaflets in the door and stuff like that, they tend to be like, we want to make an Ireland for you. Tell us how to run the country. Like, you know, we want to represent our local community without actually putting their policies kind of on any of the things. Like, you know, they don't really take a strong stance kind of on anything as much as, you know, we'll be the government, we'll run the country for you. According to um both parties are strong supporters of the EU and critical of Brexit. Uh, they both support keeping Ireland's corporation tax low. Uh, they're both on the centre-right of politics, meaning they support business-friendly policies. And in terms of differences, Fianna Fáil want to spend more on areas like health, housing and social welfare. Fianna Gael generally supports lower taxes. Uh, Fianna Gael tends to... this is kind of interesting. Fianna Gael tends to be more liberal on social issues, uh, whereas Fianna Fáil tends to be not um, so Fine Gael pushed the Eighth Amendment repeal quite hard uh, in limited terms, a limited version of its repeal, um, whereas Fianna Fáil, most of their TVDs were calling for a no vote. Yeah, and, and that, I think, actually is going to play into the current election. I honestly think that, like, Fine Gael are going to, we're going to see another Fine Gael government because of stuff like that, because um, people like to focus kind of like so on social politics um, more than necessarily, like, economical kind of politics. I have a dumb American question. Yeah. Why are families so set in their ways on either Fianna Foyle or Fianna Gael? I, they're... 
Well, I alienated from the actual politics and... No, it's not even that. A lot of this stems back to the Civil War in Ireland. So uh, during kind of like, uh, during uh, the, the period of time that Ireland won its independence, there was a civil war um, where you had a split between two sides, um, some supporting Eamon de Valera and some supporting um, Michael Collins. And uh, Fianna Fáil represents the party of Eamon de Valera and Fine Gael represents kind of like people who are against Eamon de Valera, who's kind of like the deciding, um, the deciding figure in these two parties. So like when people say they're a Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael um, family, it usually is whether or not they were pro or anti de Valera. Uh, so this is a topic that's a hundred years old that we're still bringing up today as to why not we vote for certain parties, which sounds ridiculous and is pretty ridiculous, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny for me because like I'm all into traditions <laughs> and then I'm not all into traditions. Mm -hmm. uh, I, an important thing about Fine Gael though, because it, it mentioned that it's more socially liberal and I was talking about the fact that people tend to focus more on those things. Earlier in this podcast, I mentioned that under Fine Gael, during, uh, during the recession, they privatized kind of like social housing. So like the like from an economics standpoint they wanted to for the government to save money on this kind of thing and that has led to the current homeless crisis so the idea that they're going to get voted in for i would say a change that was kind of like coming in the works anyway with kind of how progressive irish people are as a population um i am kind of like i feel it's abhorrent to vote them in when we see kind of like the amount of people who are without like adequate housing all around the country, which I I firmly blame Fine Gael for. Yeah, they're at the forefront of the worst housing and homelessness crisis the country's ever seen since I've been alive. Anyway, mm -hmm. and a side note to point in to point out is that <laughs> uh, is that one in three of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil um, politicians are in fact landowners, which is ludicrous and I think it's a fact that's so widely known yet not not like screamed on the streets because that's ridiculous because we have no social... Hold up, they're not just landowners, they're landlords. La oh of course, sorry, landowner. Yeah. <laughs> landlords and um, and there's a, that's not, that 0 0.33333 does not take into account the amount of business people Mm -hmm. um, that also hold positions of power in this country. Shareholders. We, yeah, we're seeing this massive influx of hotels being built. I mean, if you live on Dublin, if you live in Dublin, you, you only have to walk down the streets or have lived here for a while to see the destruction and closing down of all of our cultural institutions and landmarks that we all grew up with and being replaced by another hotel. I was thinking, I'm like, who is staying in all of these hotels? I mean, like, Dublin is not booming with tourists. All of these hotels are are just vacant. Oh, but don't they get money for homeless accommodation, though? Doesn't that though? come from the regular working person's oh, taxes? I think yeah. you might be correct. <laughs> I'm starting to get a sinking feeling in my stomach because, of course, I, I, you know, American politics and that age-old tradition of voting against our own interests because mm -hmm. somebody uses flowery speech and makes it sound good. Uh, unfortunately, I think in this uh, in this country, though, it's very difficult for a government um, to get in who isn't kind of against working class interests in one way or another. Like, you know, you talk about how both of them are like pro-business 
uh, kind of from overseas without like incorporating kind of like a fair tax agreement in that, which could actually go back to 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 um, benefiting the people kind of in the lower echelons of Irish society. Like you know, like our main two candidates, like economically speaking, are like hugely similar. Um, which, you know, is sad, like, you know, at least in the UK and stuff, you can see uh, a difference in kind of like Labour and the Tories as to like, like what they want to do to help people on the ground, whereas here it, it, it's not really so much, you know, and it kind of segues, I think, into talking um, about kind of like the, the third main party that might get in, which is Sinn Féin, which mm -hmm. I think has like you know, I think is going to have like a rise in popularity, uh, what with Brexit and the fact that... Um, They're already showing a surge in popularity. Yeah, yeah, because of... Wait, aren't they Republicans? Like those bad Irish kind or something? No, they're Republicans in the Irish Republican sense, as in they want the... <laughs> they want okay, the North the, back you and you were getting a rise out of me. Well, a thirty-two county United Sovereign State. Well, uh, so 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 you know they're getting popularity because their main talking point is the the unification of Ireland um, and Ulster, the the six counties in Ulster that are part of Northern Ireland being incorporated in, which you can definitely be in favour of um, to kind of like end the occupation there. But I actually am quite worried about Sinn Fein too. Like you know, like ultimately they have. Um, very kind of like Irish roots and stuff and you have to say their main talking point is the six counties but if we did see a unification of Ireland like where does nationalism tend to go? Except they have recently had to suspend one of their candidates for a series of homophobic and racist remarks. Well and I'm thinking of the issues in the north with they're still struggling for abortion laws and yeah. Sinn Féin is historically Catholic and they're holding that line right now. Yeah. Like I said, not to mention the fact that, you know, like nationalism tends to be in most kind of like countries which don't have like an outside occupation. It tends to focus on let's create this country for the people of that country and this kind of like birthright um, that we see popular in so many other places that becomes a strong right wing structure. Wait, where have I heard that nationalist socialist thing before? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's fair to call them Nazis. Uh, um, you know, the, the Nazis got in using kind of like the, the jargon of nationalism so, and socialism, but some of the first people sent to the concentration camps were socialists. Um, this is more of a talking point and the fact that socialism was popular in the country at the time that they used to gain support, as well as using the revolutionary tools of socialism to enforce capitalism, which is kind of what fascism is. And that could be a really good point for one of our future broadcasts is speaking about nationalism mm -hmm. and the different ways that it comes out because we look mm -hmm. at North America and we have the First Nations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It, it has different meanings and it changes and evolves. Yeah, I mean, like some of the other runners in the party, I think might be worth a nod. Uh, we've also got Labour, that they're not particularly popular, nor particularly in favour of working class politics in this country, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, they've got kind of like a bad history of kind of like... Selling out the working class. Of selling out the working class. Uh, we've also got the Green Party, uh, which were in coalition with Fianna Fáil before. Um, uh, but people became very disillusioned with them because they mm -hmm. didn't really achieve anything. Uh, not to mention, I think, in that election, 
section, they were the only people with non-recyclable leaflets, which I think, you know, goes to show this kind of like overbearing, uh, almost jokingly incompetence of, of our kind of like government systems. I mean, I, I mean, like you could easily create a satire of Irish politics by just printing the news. Yeah, like, you know. performative <laughs> acts that none of them seem to be exceedingly good at. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like just enough to keep people at bay mm -hmm. and to not riot on the streets. Mm -hmm. On the subject of Irish Labour, actually, uh, something I found out quite recently, uh, on her deathbed, Thatcher was asked what her great greatest achievement was. And she said Tony Blair. <laughs> as in, um, or she considered her great achievement was that after her... Um, her, like, the Conservative Party's great enemy, the UK Labour Party, had to move to the right to, or, well, did move to the right to keep up with her um, and to win the election back. So... And on that note, we have one thing to be grateful for. Thatcher's dead! Ding dong, Thatcher's dead! <laughs> Uh, I guess to put an emphasis on the fact that change really is effective from the bottom up. It's only when we popularise our opinions really and by demonstrating and rallying and organising and riding um, that these opinions gain popularity and that is when the parties then let their opinion be swayed. I mean, let's look at our Taoiseach Leo Radker who previously was against the repeal of the Eighth Amendment um, and changed... And marriage. And changed his view uh, because he is. My name is Leo. Because I'm gay, people think I'm progressive. Um, but then, yeah, his opinion was swayed. He said by the lovely women in his life, but we all know it was definitely by popular opinion, hugely popular opinion of the Irish people that he was not going to be a popular man if he continued um, to believe in the same way they did. However, you can guarantee you that if the Irish people had been largely, majorly, majorly in favour of, of still criminalising women for, for bodily autonomy, that he would have still had the same belief, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just a joke that, 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 that politics is tragically incompetent in Ireland. And in the run-up to the general election, you have people who will call to your door, canvassing, asking you for their vote. Um, between people calling to your door, asking if your mom and dad are home, which is just gas, because I don't look like a baby. And it's just that instant disrespect. and um, It's a bit funny, though. Anyway, so there's a big list of questions on my door that are there to be asked when someone in the event that someone does call to the door. So it's, what are you doing about the housing crisis? Our environment is on the brink of a collapse. What are you going to do about that? And that was the one at the top of the list. That's the first one that I tend to go for. Now, that's, it. that's not even a, like a nuanced, very specific issue. It's a... It's it's on the word. It's everyone is talking about it, you know. Look at Australia. Yeah, look at Australia. Look at look at every look at Ireland. Even yeah. I mean, you you don't have to go too far to see the detrimental effects of climate change. Mm -hmm. And anyways, so there's a a Finnegal TD, well ex TD now I suppose, and uh, she's Katrina Noon, and she's asking for the vote. Um, asked me to please consider her in the upcoming election. So I asked what she was planning to do in the wake of the environmental crisis that we're facing as a not just a country, but as a planet. And she <laughs> assured me uh, of absolutely nothing and then just proceeded to say, global warming, yes, sure it's the talk of the town, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I 
and the rest of the conversation uh, my dad was a part of and it was mostly just a lot of babbling and then trying to create some eye contact that was extremely awkward um, I also, in last year, there was the EU Mercosur trade deal, which if you don't know, was um, a trade deal between Ireland and the EU and South America that would allow for 90,000 tonnes of South American beef to be imported into the EU market. And this is the one time I think that really the vegans and the environmental activists and the farmers really joined forces to be outspoken against this and took to the streets because that fairly threatens the livelihood and the market of Irish beef. And also we know that the, the agricultural practices in South America are one of the worst in the world and it's responsible for huge amounts of deforestation. So when this was happening, um, which again is to benefit financially a small few at the cost of, of something that's so so large um, was uh, let me just pull up this email I emailed my local TD Finian McGrath and he then put my complaint on to Heather Humphreys who is the Minister for Innovation and Enterprise I do believe it's a little book pick there mm. <laughs> um, and the response of these people is absolutely comical it's mostly just a load of jargon and waffle um, but she wanted to respond regarding the concerns of the constituent miss, insert real name here. Um, and she wishes to advise that the following information would be of assistance to me. Um, so basically, on the 28th of June, the EU concluded negotiations for an association agreement that the Mercosur Irish exporters have long been subject to trade tariffs, barriers and restrictions while exporting to Mercosur. The agreement would see a significant reduction or elimination of tariffs and barriers to trade while allowing a cross-flow of trading and investment between Ireland, the EU and the Mercosur region. Uh, she then went on to note my, valid, my very valid concerns regarding the number and size of the Amazon forest fires that are raging across uh, the Brazilian rainforest. Um, but she wanted to quell my worries by saying that the agreement <laughs> included a detailed chapter on sustainable development and that they'd keep an eye on Bolsonaro and Brazil <laughs> to make sure that they were keeping in line with the Paris Agreement. Then went on. And then wanted to tell me that the Taoiseach is very concerned over the levels of destruction of the Amazon, um, but that this would benefit financially Irish people and that we should have that in mind. We all know that's not true, really, because the Irish farmers wouldn't have been so enraged that it, had that been the case. Um, and uh, yeah, so this email was concluded with, I trust this information is of assistance. <laughs> Heather Humphreys, TD, who is a minister for <coughs> business, enterprise and innovation, which is all just three different words for money, money, money. <laughs> um, so that's gas. What else? Ah, another one. I can't remember who it was. It was a while ago. But uh, when I said, what are you doing about the environmental problems that we're facing as a planet? And it shared me that, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Fine Gael, said that they were very dedicated towards, the Taoiseach is very concerned, and they're very dedicated towards building and providing more green spaces. And the conversation stopped there. <laughs> there was no like trying to waffle on a little bit more. It was just green spaces. <laughs> so my eyebrows raised really high off top of my head and I said thank you ah oh, my worries are so quelled now <laughs> more green spaces class planet's grand so vote for Fine Gael, everybody they have the, they have it going on they have when the best track record of governmental policies we can think of yeah hmm. 
I, the I, government I, you can trust. I think we've got to leave it there, right? So, uh, so we're on a bit of a schedule. I hope you've enjoyed our first podcast and that uh, you'll keep listening and hopefully we'll be able to do more of these in the future. I hope and, you don't vote Fina Gale. <laughs> and I hope that you'll send us in kind of like what you want to see in this podcast, uh, news snippets that you've received, perhaps personal stories even uh, that you think would make uh, a fun discussion for us. Uh, our email address is affinitycollective at protonmail.com. Um, please feel free, like I said, to send us any snippets you think is interesting. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, hopefully see you in the future. Slong. 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 Slong.